back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. But the pear flowers have already... Karen. Today, I am discussing episodes 36 and 37 of the story of Yanxi Palace or Yanxi Gongyue. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter or else at Karen and Kathy at ChasingDramas.com. This podcast episode consists of a drama episode recap and then we'll move on to discuss culture and history portrayed in these episodes. In the last two episodes, we saw the dreams shattered for both Ying Luo and Chun Fei. So now we start a new status quo starting in episode 36. Chunfei is utterly devastated at learning that after more than 10 years of believing Fu Hong had affections for her, she found out that it was all a lie. The tassel she gifted him and which he had worn for the last 10 years was just a simple miscommunication. He thought the tassel was from his sister, while she thought it meant he had affections for her. After cold-heartedly removing the tassel when realizing it came from Chunfei, Fu Hong shattered Chunfei's heart. Now, with a little bit of nefarious prodding from Xian Guifei, who suspects that Chunfei must have had some undisclosed affection for someone in the Fu Cha family, Chunfei is finally stoked into acting. And with just a little bit of acting, Chunfei successfully charms the emperor into giving her favor. I find it actually quite impressive with how easily distracted the emperor is, in my view, but it also speaks to the fact that Chunfei is an extremely capable woman in the palace. She just opted not to fight for favor for these last 10 years, but you know what? With just a simple twirl, of her fingers and, you know, some fake tears, the emperor is once again enraptured by another woman. But this for the emperor is just an interlude. After the pointed questioning he received from the empress in the last episode, the emperor is rather flustered with his feelings for Ying Luo, which he still cannot parse out or put his exact fingers on. Regardless, and no matter how sad of a face Fu Hong puts on in the world, he must get married. Honestly, I get why he's upset, but he's the one who made the choice, so I don't have a lot of sympathy towards him and his long face. We get a quick wedding scene where it is his big day with Er Ting. Er Ting is beautifully dressed, and on this wedding night, she is rather reasonable. She says that she understands that Fu Hong still has another in his heart, but she is willing to wait. Fu Hong at least says all of the right things to her about how from now on he's going to remind himself that she is his responsibility and his wife, blah, blah, blah. In the very next scene, his resolve gets tested. On a blizzarding day, Ying Luo is by herself in the freezing cold, kowtowing every three steps in the palace. As she's doing so, Fu Hong and Er Qing arrive. They are stunned at the sight and is explained that this is Ying Luo's punishment. On the first snow of the winter, she is to kowtow every three steps for 24 hours around the palace. Once done, she will be able to return back to Changchun Palace. At this heart-wrenching sight, 
Fu Hong motions forward to help Ying Luo, but is pulled back by Er Qing. Meanwhile, Ying Luo absolutely ignores Fu Hong and continues with her punishment. It turns out Ying Luo could have avoided this punishment. The emperor gave her a choice. Tell Fu Hong she never loved him and was only interested in him for his money and power. Otherwise, kowtow every three steps for 24 hours around the palace and apologize. Evidently, Ying Luo chose the latter punishment. But this is almost like her breakup ritual. She is accepting this punishment because, as she states, she does not want to deny ever loving Fu Hong. But after this punishment, she has resolved that she will only ever be strangers with Fu Hong. Their love is gone forever. After about eight hours of this, both Yuan Chun Wang stop by to look after Ying Luo, who is adamant in her task, as well as the emperor. In front of the emperor, Ying Luo finally collapses, and he immediately picks her up and carries her off. This really is quite the favor by the emperor. Ying Luo is carried off to a room where she's laid on a bed to rest. The emperor sits by her bedside and caresses her frozen cheek with his hand. But remembering what the empress said about his personal reasons for not allowing Fu Hong to marry Ying Luo, removes his hand as if it burned. He is still struggling internally with how he feels, but it is certainly coming to the surface. When Ying Luo awakes, she is dressed by several maids in clothes that are not her own, but that of a woman with a much higher status. The clothes are more elegant and her hair much more elaborate. The maids hardly leave when she asks them what is going on and runs headlong into the emperor when she tries to leave the room herself. That brings us to episode 38. Ying Luo is scared out of her wits as to what is happening, but the emperor calmly sits down in the room, just the two of them. He loudly shares that the empress thinks he might be into Ying Luo and wants to hear Ying Luo's thoughts. Ying Luo freaks out about this and hurriedly says all manner of things trying to avert the emperor's attention and allow her to leave. But the emperor actually forces himself on top of Ying Luo on a bed. It is at this moment that Ying Luo changes tact and purposefully shares that this was her tactic all along. She wanted to attract the emperor and states that she finally has this opportunity. It is with these words that confirmed to the emperor his suspicions all along that she was just a greedy woman and instantly his interest fades. He tells her to leave and she is allowed to return to Changchun Palace. Um, although, can we just pause to state that it was really rather distasteful of the emperor with this whole little scheme. I mean, he was basically about to commit rape um, on Wei Yingluo. He said that he's never forced himself on a woman before, but he really wants to today. I don't know what was going on in his mind. He was certainly thinking with his other brain, and I really did not enjoy this scene. Regardless, though, Ying Luo finally returns into the arms of the Empress. Ying Luo and Ming Yu spent a wonderful several months helping the Empress recover her ability to walk. Honestly, I feel like these were some of the best months for the three of them. No distractions and just one goal, which is to help the Empress regain her mobility. I feel like the 
drama <laughs> should have just left it there if you look at all the comments on youtube it's so funny like everyone was wishing the happy uh couple of ying luo and the empress together like who needs the emperor right now by now, it is springtime, and yay, success! After a lot of help from Yingluo and Mingyu, the Empress can now finally walk on her own. We are officially in the year of 1746, the 11th year of Qianlong's reign. But that is not the only happy news in the palace. We found out that Chunfei is pregnant. Looks like the time spent with the emperor has been fruitful as now she is going to have some support in the palace. Additionally, Yuan Chun Wang, Yingluo's adoptive brother, has also been promoted. Having impressed Xian Guifei in prior episodes, she provides him an opportunity with a promotion to a posting in the internal household department or Dei Wufu. That is quite the honor for him. So, in all, things are going pretty well for people in the palace. The only place that is not going well is Fu Hong's household. He, unsurprisingly, has been extremely cold towards Er Qing despite getting married, and she does not take to this kindly. She's upset that despite his reassuring words, he has not treated her well since getting married. He has basically buried himself in work and has neglected her, which she is unhappy about. Her extreme jealousy comes out when she sees a random maid help clean Fu Hung's rooms, and Er Qing severely beats this poor woman. We will see more trouble in paradise in episode 38. The only other thing to note is that Er Qing meets Fu Hung's younger brother this episode. But again, Er Qing is very, very unhappy in this marriage. What I do find absolutely fantastic, though, is that Fu Hung's household is a complete mess, and a lot of this is due to Fu Hung's own poor communication. He is still pining over Wei Yingluo despite saying the contrary. I personally think that Fu Hong needs to grow up. He's already married Er Qing, and he promised her to try to make this marriage work. He's doing like the absolute bare minimum and like I said, just burying himself in work to avoid having I think about his heartbreak. Yes, Er Qing has gotten quite paranoid, but I blame that more on Fu Hung rather than her at this point. That will change a little bit in the next couple of episodes. On the other side, Wei Yingluo has already moved past her previous feelings towards him. It does not mean that she loved him any less, but I guess it's due to their different upbringing. Yingluo knows how difficult it is to survive, so she recognizes that she needs to move on. She sees the world extremely clearly, and this should be commended. So ladies, you know, follow Yingluo's attitude when there is a heartbreak, not full hungs, because you never know, you might have someone become extremely jealous and uh, do horrible things to your house staff. <laughs> All right, that is it for the drama episode recap. Let's move on to some history. First up, let's talk about fashion because we haven't in a while. The subject of today, it is Er Ting's wedding outfit, specifically the headdress. It is very different from what we've seen in other dramas, and it's elaborate with a main headdress and two side pieces. 
I don't really know what to call the side pieces, so <laughs> I'm just gonna refer to them as side pieces or tassels. That type of headdress is called tiaogan dianzi. Tiaogan essentially means rod or pole. But first, let's talk about dianzi. That's typically the term for the headdress or headpieces uh, that Qing Dynasty adult women wore. The bottom of the structure is created by either wires or wisteria twining vines. The structure is then covered with silk, fabric, or even paper. Then accessories are added to the headdress. Accessories can include precious jewels, jade, pearls, gold flowers, and dian cui. Dian cui, as mentioned in episode 71 of the story of Minglan, is a style of Chinese art that features kingfisher feathers. The color is a beautiful blue color, and we actually see a lot of dian cui being used by the women in this drama, especially Chun Fei in episode 36. She basically uses exclusively dian cui as her accessories. Back to dianzi in general, the more wealthy and powerful the family, the more elaborate these dianzi were. Makes sense. There are four types of dianzi. Ban dian, man dian, feng dian, tiao gan dian. Which translates to half, full, phoenix, and a mix between the full and phoenix dianzi, which gets us to the tiao gan dian, or the pole dian. The phoenix style was pretty elaborate. There would be phoenix on the headdress. In addition, there were also uh, some sort of dangling accessories such as pearls. The phoenix style was developed during the Yongzheng era. I'll try to point them out next time we see them. The use of feng dian was twofold. The first was used during weddings and the second was used by women who had proper functions uh, and banquets to attend. The feng dian was used by the imperial household all the way up to the end of the Qing dynasty. We don't see that many of the concubines wear dianzi that often in this drama. This best example for the uh, empress is actually in episode one when she was helping the emperor select more women for the imperial harem. Women in Zhen Huan Zhuan or empresses in the palace wore dianzi much more often. Think about the Empress and Zhen Huan during the end of the show. They wore tons of these beautiful dianzi. So let's actually discuss the headdress that Er Qing wears. As I mentioned, it is actually called the Tiaogan Dian and is the most elaborate of the headdress styles. The Tiaogan refers to the tassels on both sides, which I personally don't really get. So we'll need a fashion historian to correct us because this is just based on research. The drama goes into extreme detail of recreating the Tiao Gan Dian. The problem is the timing for this is a little wrong. Tiao Gan Dian didn't really appear until Emperor Guangxu's era, which is the 19th century. We're currently in 1745 or 46, so this is an anachronism. There are actually surviving photos of women wearing this Tiao Gan Dian. So please note that Tiao Gan Dian is Manchu. When we spoke about wedding headdresses, we spoke about the feng guan or the phoenix headdress in the story of Minglan. If you recall what Minglan wore, that headdress is very different from the one that Er Qing wears here. The former is a feng guan, which would be worn for Han marriages. The latter is a tiao gan dian, which could be worn for Manchu marriages. 
Interestingly, the Qiaogandian rose in popularity during the mid to late Qing dynasty, especially outside of the imperial palace. It has essentially uh, replaced the Fengdian in the aristocracy. In the palace, people would still wear the Fengdian, but it was rare to see outside of the palace walls. Instead, people wore the Qiaogandian, as Erting does in this drama. So it kind of makes sense, even though the timing is wrong. As for wedding customs, we've talked about this quite a bit in previous episodes. The one piece I'll remind the listeners is that both Erting and Fu Hong had to take a bite out of a dumpling. The maids ask sheng bu sheng, which means is it raw? Erting responds sheng de, and that is a wedding tradition. Sheng means raw, but also means to give birth. So if the bride says sheng, then that means she will have children. The last thing I'll say about this marriage is, in history, Fu Hong didn't marry a woman from the Sitala clan, but from the Nala clan. The marriage was an extremely happy one, completely different from what we see in the drama. So please, don't take this drama for gospel. Before I discuss the next history topics, I will pause to give praise to the actors and actresses for wearing such thick clothing during the winter scenes. Filming of the drama took place between June 2017 to October 2017, so there was basically no real opportunity to film actual winter scenes, especially the snow scenes. However, it did look quite convincing and lovely in episode 36 when Yingluo had to complete her punishment. All right, moving on to our last two history topics. We have two poems to discuss. The first one comes from the conversation between Chunfei and the emperor. She is reminiscing about the wonders of the city of Hangzhou and says these two lines. These two lines come from the Tang Dynasty poem Jiang Nan Yi, Zui Yi Shi Hangzhou. Or, remembering Jiangnan, the city I remember most is Hangzhou. It was written by the very famous Tang Dynasty poet Bai Juyi, who lived from 772 to 846. This specific poem is the second of three that Bai Juyi wrote about the wonders of Jiangnan, which, during the Tang Dynasty, referred to a wide area south of Changjiang and included the cities of Hangzhou and Suzhou. The full poem goes like this. Jiangnan Yi, Zui Yi Shi Hangzhou. Shan Si Yue Zhong Xun Gui Zi, Jun Ting Zhen Shang Kan Chao Tou, He Ri Geng Chong You. Here's my translation. Remembering Jiangnan, the city I remember most is Hangzhou. I remember visiting Buddhist temples to find the fall osmanthus flowers. I climbed the city tower, and while resting on a pillow, I looked down at the tides of the Tiantang River. When can I return for a visit? This poem is full of praise for the city of Hangzhou. We've heard of Hangzhou mentioned quite a bit over the past couple of dramas we've talked about. Hangzhou I visited, it is a actually pretty great city. The author here, Bai Juyi, specifically remembers the autumn weather and his own experiences in the city. This poem definitely does work well in the context of her drama, as Chunfei was trying to make a point of praising Hangzhou to 
garner the emperor's attention. Lastly, we will discuss the poem that Er Qing reads from the papers that Fu Hung's younger brother, Fu Qian, drops. We don't hear his name, we just know that he is the fourth master, fourth young master, but his name is Fu Qian. The poem is titled Yan Er Mei, Yang Liu Si Si Nong Qing Rou, or as per the YouTube translation, Bewitching Eyes, the wind gently fiddles with the fine willow branches. Yan Er Mei, or Bewitching Eyes, was actually a style of poetry or music tune. It was a type of Ci Pai Ming, which means that the accents of the poems and the musical tones were already set. Authors would then use different words to fill this Ci. So there are many Yan Er Mei, or Bewitching Eyes, poems. The differentiators are in the lines of the poem. The full poem goes as such. I'm going to use a mix of the YouTube translation and my own translation. Yang liu si si nong qing rou, yan lü zhi cheng chou, hai tang wei yu, li hua xian xue, yi ban chun xiu. Er jin wang shi nan cheng sheng, gui meng rao qin lou, xiang si zhi zai, ding xiang zhi shang, dou kou shao tou. The translation is as such. The wind gently fiddles with the fine willow branches. The smoke weaves thousands of sorrows. It hasn't rained on the Chinese flowering apple like snow. Too bad half of spring has already passed. The realities of the present make it hard to remember the past. My dreams remember the tower you lived in. My heartache and remembrance for you continues to this date on the fragrant cloves and the beautiful cardamom branch. This was written by the Song Dynasty poet Wang Pang, who lived from 1044 to 1076. He died at a young age in his early 30s, as we see, so it is quite sad that um, he passed so early. During the course of his life, he had always been a sickly man, so he decided to live separately from his wife. His wife lived in the Qinlo Tower that is mentioned in this poem. After a while, Wang Pang's father organized for Wang Pang's wife to be remarried to another man. Wang Pang is reminiscing his wife, which led him to write this poem. Wang Pang came from a well-respected scholar family and passed his imperial entrance exams before the age of 20, so we know that he was a very talented and scholarly man. He was well-respected at court for the time that he was there, but due to his prolonged illness, as we mentioned, he died at a young age, and we only have a few of his poems uh, remaining or studied until now. I honestly don't know why Fu Hung's younger brother Fu Qian is walking around with this poem when he first meets Er Qing. Does he have someone he loves already? It makes more sense after they first meet though because in one scene we see Fu Qian kind of staring longingly up at Er Qing when she is sitting in a tower. So that's kind of sort of like what we have in the poem of um, the man reminiscing his wife living in the tower. But I still don't really understand why he was walking around with that poem in the first place. Alrighty, and that is it for this podcast episode. If you're looking for sites to watch dramas and you're in the U.S., 
head over to our sponsor, Jubao TV. That's J-U-B-A-O TV. It's a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies to watch. You can stream it through the website Jumo or XUMO or else access it on TV if you have Xfinity or Cox Contour. They've also launched on Sling TV. Again, all of this is free and we will catch you all in the next episode.